Hey guys, this is Sri Ram from AI Punt. Today we'll be talking to Adam Walker. Adam is someone I first met in Bangalore years ago. I used to work for an angel group called Lead Angels and I used to be always running around the streets of Koramangala to meet some exciting startups and founders. I met him then and then he used to run a company named Humming Bill. He has an interesting story. He's someone who's moved from the states to Kenya and then to India. He did all this to find the right product market fit. In the process, he raised a bunch of capital, found some decent clients, and finally very reluctantly sold his company to Credex. Obviously, things didn't pan out as he expected. Honest to God, he's one of the smartest persons I know and I really appreciate his time. Let's talk to him. Let's understand what happened in the past and what his future plans are. Adam, can you hear me now? Yes. Great. Adam, what do you do at CanDo? I'm a product marketer at CanDo. Okay. What does it mean? CanDo or the product marketer? Both. Both. Okay, sure. Uh, so... I'll share what uh, CanDo does, and then I'll share what uh, my role is as a product marketer. So CanDo is a no-code design software for building UI components for software as a service companies. So we work with product and growth teams at mid to large SaaS companies to help non-developers build better experiences for their customers. So these could be things like onboarding checklists, webinar announcements, feature releases. So it removes the dependency on engineering for UI that's for customer experience, not UI for core feature. So it removes the dependency on uh, front-end engineering. So product and growth teams can optimize their customer experience and they can run experiments faster. Okay, makes sense. And as a product marketer, among my roles is to figure out who is our target persona, as far as the person who discovers the product, and then the person who becomes the champion of the product in the organization. Because CanDo is by nature, a horizontal product. So it can be used for a variety of use cases as well as by a variety of different stakeholders. It involves typically two to three different teams involvement from design, engineering, and product. And so part of my role is also to figure out those mechanics of the internal um, sales onboarding process to be able to eventually build a playbook, right, for the company. So playbook is uh, who, uh, what industry, what channels to reach out to those target customers and who are the target profiles who discover the product and then become a champion of the product in the organization. So there's a lot of what I do. Okay, makes sense. And how long have you been working for this company? Since January. And so you're based out of 
Yes, six months, and you're based in New York right now. Well, ideally New York, but we were just sharing uh, the immigration challenges that my wife has right now. So I'm at the moment I'm in India. I was in New York for the last couple months, and then just recently uh, came back to Kerala. We first met when you were working on your company. Sorry, yeah. Hummingbird. And yeah. what? It, yeah, I keep saying Hummingbird for I don't know. Well, for that's why. a good thing. That at least that's <laughs> not, uh, got the first part of it. And what exactly are you doing? So it's a accounts receivable software designed for Indian businesses in supply chains where there's typically long payment delays, anywhere from 45 to 120 days. So it helped businesses in just keeping track of which invoices were sent, how many days uh, sales outstanding, and then helping people in sending follow-ups to customers so that they can clear invoices faster. You first started this out in Kenya. Okay. And then you moved to India from Kenya. Yes. yes. And, uh, and, and you realize that there's a huge problem here because uh, of the credit. People actually delay their invoices. Yeah. For various reasons. Uh, in they call it a, yeah. They call it a trade credit. So uh-huh. basically instead of getting credit from a bank, instead you just delay your payments. So it, it behaves like a, a credit for your business. And India is like one of the worst countries in terms of the average day sales outstanding globally in supply chains. And wasn't it tough for you to sell it to the potential clients because they've been doing this for ages? And uh, was it tough to actually go and persuade them and ask them to use it? Yes. So the number one learning experience from all of this was that I was trying to sell a SaaS product, which... By nature, SaaS is a product that uses the internet as its distribution channel. But in India, the percentage of of my target market that was looking for solutions online was very small, right? So I was trying to fit a product that's really designed for a different market in terms of its distribution to the Indian market. Uh, So there was a major mismatch that way, right? Uh, Because it it meant that I was doing door-to-door sales, which is just not scalable. Uh, And especially at the the Indian- You later on went and sold the company, CredX, and then I'm sure you built a value. I did, if I remember it right, you did have some paying customers and, and the product was, and that's why it got bought. I met you before you sold it, yeah. one day before you sold it. Right. And <laughs> I don't remember exactly where, which coffee shop, but yeah, yep. it was one of the coffee shops at Koramangla for sure. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then you went and worked for Credix for yep. a year or two. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I was just going to say, so so part of it was that it had a, a couple of name brand companies like uh, Free Charge and Capillary Technologies as customers. And at the time, fintech, this was really the, the early days of uh, excitement about fintech in India. And so I think that at the time, people were looking at, are there technology interventions that could give deeper insights into the cash flows of businesses? And so that was at least how I positioned the product. So it made it a, a, attractive to a number of buyers and I was fortunate. So even though it wasn't a profitable business 
at least in terms of the, the product and the team, there was value. So I was fortunate to be able to have an exit that way. And that right. happens, right? <laughs> what I've really found very interesting at that point is that the way you manage to raise your initial capital because you get it from some prominent investors from the, of the West. Mm-hmm. And then the way you hired engineers and got the product built, because it's not an easy task right. uh, to hire and then get it done because the competition in Bangalore is many folds, right? There are many right. startups, funded startups who are paying twice the amount with the market value for for good software engineers. Yeah. And yeah, sure. but still you managed to build a reliable and a scalable product. Plus, you moved different countries and you assumed there's a market here, which was a wrong assumption, but I guess, yeah, okay, okay, okay. But uh, how did you manage to build the tech and how were you managing to build that company? I was to work for Lead Angels and mm-hmm. I first met you because you wanted to raise capital from Lead and that's when we first met. So how did you manage to keep yourself afloat and fund the company and then pay these developers and take care of their whims and fancies too. How did you manage that? Those are all great questions. So I lived a very frugal life from probably 2012 to 2016, where even when I was living in Kenya, when I first moved there, I had $100 in my bank account. So by the way, you know, disclaimer, for all the audience listening, please don't follow my trajectory. <laughs> Hopefully you can learn from my mistakes. Uh, but I was very passionate about building a business and I was excited about mobile payments. That's initially what took me to Kenya. And in the beginning, I had a really Spartan existence where I, I rented a servant's quarters from a friend of mine and I paid about the equivalent of like 6,000 rupees like $80 per month, no electricity, no running water (laughs) in the building. I had to go out to like my friend's house to be able to use the facilities. And I had this existence that I just lived just day by day with scratchings. I called it the apple and banana diet (laughs) Uh, for several months until I was able to raise some money for the company. This is not the approach that I would recommend for people, (laughs) but it's the route that I took. And uh, I had to do a lot of like side hustles to be able to get by. I was like in Kenya, I was like unlocking cell phones where people would get a cell phone from like Germany, like an iPhone, and then it would be locked to the carrier. And then I'd go to some shady website and I had a US credit card. So I was able to unlock it for people. And so I made some money from that. I tutored biology for a kid at a local private school just to get myself afloat. And how the the fundraise happened was I spent an enormous amount of time networking um, and pitching the product on different platforms like AngelList and was fortunate to be able to come across a individual who worked at Intuit, who was a, he was like a senior VP which Intuit makes um, QuickBooks and TurboTax. And he is originally from South Africa and he empathized with, you know, this ambition of growing tech in Africa and about the opportunity of mobile payments for 
providing financial access to low income people or the underbanked. And it was fortunate that he was able to help make introductions uh, for me to, to other investors. And so that's how I initially got uh, connected to Paul English, who was the former founder of kayak.com. And he was able to put in a little bit of money with a, with a bit of an arm twist. Uh, so that person from Intuit, his name is so wherever you are, Hugh, thank you <laughs> for your help. Sure. By the way, if Apple is listening, please sponsor this video. I just found you a person who can unlock your phones. Never <laughs> Boy, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> they probably don't want that. <laughs> no, actually, it's more of a carrier issue. Yeah. So maybe, sure. maybe Apple does want to endorse it. I don't know. Sure. There's sure. conflict of interest there. Anyway, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was it like, you know, to work in a place like Bangalore, I'm sure a lot of intellectual stimulation happening around because all these uh, great founders and engineers and investors, the, the, co the coffee shops are right, bustling with yeah. this kind of activity where term sheets are freaking signed. I forgot the name of the coffee shop. I think Costa? Coffee, yeah. Yes, yes. I was there. I was sitting all the time there yeah, talking to companies. Yeah. I'll, I'll just mean, share, you know, like, I was fortunate to actually be in Bangalore during the very initial days of the blooming of the startup industry because I think so many of the, the big companies that we know today, this was six years ago, were really still in their infancy. You know, I remember like Flipkart was there. It did raise a lot of money, but it was still a very new thing. Ola was a very new thing. And I, I used to work at a beehive, which was like the first co-working space in Bangalore. And now it's ridiculous. Wherever you go in Bangalore, any main street, you'll see six different co-working, branded co-working spaces. So I was there at a time when there was just really beehive in Koramangala. <laughs> right, right. So this it, was, it was cool seeing this whole sudden uh, shift in the market, dedicating tons of resources towards startup companies. It was this easier was to hire back then. That's <laughs> probably the case. Yeah, now, really, yeah, there's just like a, lots of huge companies are vacuuming talent, including uh, some international companies, right? Gojek, right? Gojek has 200 engineers in Bangalore. A number of American companies also set up shop and American startup companies. And so they're vacuuming up talent as well. Favorite metric that you used to follow or you still follow? Uh, no bullshit metric. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm thinking of two. They're very okay. useful. So one is the velocity of your sales pipeline. So this is just simply getting from one key step. So it could be, it could also be your product um, self-serve, a product-led growth pipeline, but it can also be like an assisted sale pipeline and looking at uh, what are the, all of the key steps in the user customer journey, and then tracking the velocity between each of those steps. That's the average amount of time to move from one step to the other. And that was like a key thing that I'd worked on while I was at Credex because Credex is a invoice financing marketplace. So they help businesses get access to credit by effectively buying their invoices that haven't been paid yet. If, if invoices for say a hundred rupees, they'll buy it from the business for 95 rupees, hold on to it until it gets paid for like after 45 days or so. And then, you know, they make a 5% return. So as a function of 
this type of business, it's very ops intensive. And so this was a key part of activities that I did was in tracking the movement of the borrower journey from the sales to the ops slash risk side so that we could speed up our uh, speed up the velocity of our deals, right? The throughput of our deals. So that's a major one. Okay. What's the yeah. second one? Second one is return on ad spend. Right. So uh, this is, <laughs> it's a bit of a holy grail still uh, for us because we're still at, at CanDo. We're still setting up our um, marketing analytics infrastructure, which does really take time, especially if you're using a customer data platform like segment.com where you're tracking like off page user events. So what I mean by off page is like, there's no specific URL, right? Like an off page event might be moving a deal from one stage to the next in the sales pipeline. There's nothing that happens on the front end. So anyway, return on ad spend is just this concept of how much revenue you generate from from customers who came from a particular campaign, and then you divide it by the total expenditure of the campaign. So it gives you the, the basically, if you put in $1, how many dollars did you get in return? And obviously you want that to be a positive number or you know, a number above one, <laughs> right? So it'd be like, you, you'd say two, $2 or $5. So for every $1 you spend, you get $5 in revenue. I think I get this one. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Do you see yourself starting something on your own again in the near future? God, no. Too okay. much. Especially if, if you're trying to really shoot for the stars. The I just feel like I'm not, like, I'm a high performer, but, like, the caliber of a founder of a company that's getting, was aiming for real scale, you just have to be on it. And it's just like a 24-7 thing. And I, I feel like this time I hitched my ride on a really good wagon. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm quite bullish about the no code space. And I'm also bullish about our positioning in this space. I'm there for the, the long haul. So you're bullish about this no code space. Isn't that scary for a lot of engineers? The way that we look at no code is it's about assisting people with who are non-developers with their core work and allowing developers to focus on their core work, which if you're talking about say a software product company, engineers need to be focused on delivering features. Engineers should not be working on copy changes, right? Different design changes for the purposes of onboarding users or updating maybe a new blog post is released and you want to show it in your dashboard. The way that we look at this is You'll take care of the mundane stuff. And yeah, let- exactly. Wow. Wow. You don't have to use that word. Marketers, we, we like making announcements about new blog posts and webinars, but um, sure, you can look at it that way. <laughs> yes, it is mundane for the purpose of an engineer. And that's what we want. Like, that's how we position it. This is boring crap. Like, and it's, right. it's irritating. And it's, I'm tired of changing the color of that stupid button or changing right. the look. Yeah. Yeah, he'd rather be working on improving his or trying to write a new one, you know, in the process. Yeah, so I I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Not trying trying to put anybody down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Look at websites, right? We actually just were about to publish a blog post with a group called MakerPad, 
don't know if you've heard of them before, but they're one of the premier organizations that educates people on no code tools and building out no code stacks. And so we put together a blog post about the history of no code because really no code's been going on for quite a long time. If you look at HTML in emails, right? So you used to like marketers used to require an engineer to be able to create a visually appealing email to create the HTML for emails. That slowly, that demand slowly died off as companies like MailChimp were launched. And then there were like analytics, right? SQL is there's less of a dependence on engineers now for product analytics because of tools like Amplitude and for building websites. WordPress is like the OG for, OG, right. for, build, for building agree. websites without writing code. So yeah, you can build an e-commerce website without writing a single line of code. Yeah, Shopify yeah. now, right? And yeah. so that's the that's really the mindset is it's all about um, enabling non-developers in their core functions, whether they're um, in marketing or product, and then freeing engineers to focus on core product, core features. I sincerely believe automation combining with the powers of AI will free up a lot of people and that will enable them to do a lot of creative work. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it is the creative. Creative and, and have a productive life. You're enabling someone to do better. If, if a computer can do it, then why not? You do for you focus on something better. Yep. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's true value for your knowledge and your degree or the money that is being paid to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Adam, I've taken a lot of your time. Oh, yeah. My pleasure, Shriam. No, thanks I for really... inviting me on the show.